0: Welcome to Recovery Coast to Coast, broadcasting from Seattle, Washington, carried live on 850 KHHO in Tacoma, Washington, and carried nationally in streaming audio at www.recoverycoasttocoast.org. Two hours of interviews and features, plus questions and comments about this one day at a time adventure in personal recovery as we share experience, strength, and hope with others so that they may recover from alcohol and other drug and behavioral addictions. And now, Recovery Coast to Coast is on the air. Here's your host, Neil Scott.
1: Your girlfriend hates me. You know it's true. I tried to tell her it's not
2: me, it's you.
3: That's the music of Sarah Sharp, our guest on Recovery Coast to Coast. I'm your host, Neil Scott. On America's Nightly Voice for Recovery, on the air five nights a week, two hours a night, talking about addiction with a focus on recovery. Tonight, we're joined in our iHeart Studios by award-winning vocalist, singer-songwriter Sarah Sharp from uh, Austin, Texas. We're going to hear her story of growing up with a parent who suffered from uh, mental illness, in her mom's case, and her dad, who is uh, in recovery since, I believe, 1994. Sarah's currently on tour in the Pacific Northwest is nice enough to join us in the iHeart Studios. Sarah, welcome to Recovery Coast to Coast. Nice to see you. You've been in Seattle before, right? Yes.
4: I've never been here when the weather was as beautiful as it is today.
3: You must have a vow of silence. Do not let anyone know (laughs) that the weather is as nice as it is today. Uh, Tell me a little bit about Sarah growing up. I know you're from Houston, Texas, Mm -hmm. uh, and you've got a, a younger brother, an older sister, Tell me about the early days for you growing up in in a home in Texas.
4: Being in Seattle makes me think so much about sailing because we lived right near. Um, you know, Houston is near Galveston Bay. Yeah, my dad had a sailboat. Mm. We sailed every weekend. It was a huge part of my life. I was a ballet dancer growing up, and I lived you know, right in the center of Houston. Was immersed in the arts because my mom was a classical pianist. So, I, as part of Houston Ballet, I, I was. I was in the Nutcracker. I was downtown often for getting to go to the symphony or the opera or the theater things like that with my mom.
3: A ballerina. Mm-hmm. Do you still dance? No. Not like that. Yeah, 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 yeah.
4: <laughs> no. I but I I love to dance, but not I don't ballet dance. <laughs>
3: yeah, living living with your mom. You know, I mentioned that she had some uh, some serious mental health issues. She did. When, when did they arise and when did you first realize that things were different in your home?
4: So my mom says that even in kindergarten, the nuns told her parents that she needed to see a psychiatrist, which mm. back in the, you know, she was born in 49. So that was not very common. Mm. <laughs> so she was already quite ill probably her whole life. When I was young, she... I remember they gave they gave her a hysterectomy because they were trying to help cure her PMS, Ugh. and that was the beginning of where things had, mm. re- had really gotten worse. Mm. Not you know, I think she suffered with depression her whole life. But um, so when my younger brother, her, which who was her youngest, was only a couple years old, and they gave her a hysterectomy, I remember her being pretty devastated that she definitely wouldn't have any more children. Mm. Um, but they had. They, you know, didn't know what to do. And when she was, t- when I was twelve, it was her first um, hospitalization for mental illness.
3: And, and what was that like for you?
4: You know, um, I had a conversation with my friend Angela. I wish I wish I could remember the book she referenced, but it's something to do developmentally for kids up until a certain point. All you've ever known is what you know and that is normal. And there's a certain stage of development where you start to think, wait a minute, this is BS mm. <laughs> and uh, have an opinion about mm-hmm. other people's families blah 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 blah. you know but it wasn't like daily suffering. I mean, my parents suffered, but I don't I don't look back on my childhood as daily suffering.
3: Mm. It, but you knew your mom was seriously ill.
4: Yes, especially because once, uh, I mean, you know, she was suicidal. But once her first big hospitalization happened when I was 12, that lithium was a new mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. And so they had her on that. She put on 100 pounds in the first year. Wow. Every new psych med that became available after that, they tried. Uh, but then it was also these this cocktail of meds to deal with. With the side effects of all those drugs, mm-hmm. and so, I mean, I saw everything from you know moments where it was working and she, she was okay to where she was completely hallucinating or had physical tics, or just things where she would she, her tongue would dart in and out nonstop, and she'd shake from side to side and twirl her hair, and you know, I mean, on and on the side effects of, at different stages with different drugs, and and sometimes something would work, and then after a while it just didn't work anymore or needed to be adjusted, but things often didn't get adjusted until it was already back into a crisis situation.
3: Was your dad drinking at the time?
4: Yes. Yeah, he was.
3: That had to complicate
4: things. <laughs> yeah. It's, he was a Jack Daniels fan. And I, I think I recognize this often when I'm in social situations. I think there's different ways that people are uh, react to alcohol, even alcoholics. And some sometimes it, to me it's it's like an actual maybe once somebody has has really hit it hard for long enough, it's like an allergic reaction. And I can see it in people, even if they've only had a few sips. Something switches, and mm-hmm. they they get lispy. They get, do you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? Sure. And and they they're not even drunk yet, but it it's whatever's going on systemically, <laughs> it, biologically. It's it's like an actual switch of the the switch. And I feel like that's the kind of um, drunk that my dad mm, was. Mm. You know, I don't have an exact idea of how much he was drinking, but I know that from the first few sips it was a a switch.
3: Sarah Sharp is joining us from Austin, Texas. She's an adult child of two alcoholic parents or an alcoholic parent and a, a, a mentally disabled woman, mm-hmm. uh, her mom, who, who passed away last year. A lot of things have happened to you in the last, like, three years. Mm-hmm. You were married for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you lost one of your soulmates in the music industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all this stuff came crashing down in your life. How are you today?
4: Well, you know, it. it I had a reaction when you said it happened to me. Because I have, I say, I say, in, in for myself and for other people that, um, that's like a victim thing. Okay. I it have happened with and through me, <laughs> is, with you and through you is um, how I think about it. It happened in your
3: presence. Yes. How are you doing?
4: Um, I've been through so much, and I'm on the other side of it. And so my guitar player, um, for a long time was Slim Ritchie. We played mm-hmm. together for eight years.
3: Great guitar player.
4: Yes, yeah. he was such a legend, and yeah. especially in Austin, but not just in Austin. Yeah. And when he passed away, the Paramount Theater, which is our most historic, mm-hmm. um, prestigious theater right on downtown Austin, put on the marquee, "Rest in Peace, most dangerous guitar player in Texas," oh, and put his wow. you know his name. Wow. And
3: um, you were pretty close to him.
4: We were, we were. The whole band was mm. super close, like major family, just constant love fest. But Slim and I had a, a really special. Um, unique relationship. It's so hard for me to play with hardly anyone else and I, I'm really lucky with the people I get with mm-hmm. whom I get to play but he was just such a grown up in, in his what not to play approach to, you know, the space and the maturity and the, uh, um. I mean, he played his, his butt off and there's so many people that have been enormously influenced by him but what I... Uh, what was so amazing is I just felt like it was the first time I had got to spend that much time playing with somebody who was a grown mm. grown man <laughs> musically you know
3: you, you, mm-hmm. you told me you were a ballet dancer mm-hmm. when did you go from ballet dancer to vocalist and get involved that's in the a music good scene? question
4: and I I do want to finish answering about how, how I'm doing but um so when I when I was a freshman and High school, I was just quitting ballet. It had gotten to the point where, like, the summer programs, I would be five days a week, five five hours a day up at Houston Ballet. I mean, it was very – I couldn't do sports. I I missed so many things, like just regular kids stuff Mm. because of the schedule. And I I honestly was never going to be the best. I I mean, I was dedicated to it, but I wasn't ever going to, you know – that make it like as a professional adult. Um, so I, I was coming to the end of wh- where it made any sense to keep going. And I joined the choir um, um, in Houston is the L- Lamar High School is a well-known high school and has a really incredible choir. And I at that po- I grew up in so, so much music and within a huge Catholic family, my mom's one of eight, my dad's one of six, I thought everybody could sing. And it wasn't until I got into the choir and I'm standing on the on the risers with people either side of me and sometimes wondering why they like weren't doing the note right, singing in tune, Wow! that I realized that not everyone could carry a tune. And it became, they, they jumped me up to like the, I was the only freshman in like the next level up, and it just became a thing socially too that was really amazing and so much easier in my opinion than ballet. <laughs> So it just it became my thing, you know.
3: And you grew up in a Catholic family. Yeah. Pray, pay, and obey. Yes. Yeah, I I also am uh, I am a Catholic, so I, I I can kind of relate to that. Uh, how did how did that play into your growing up and, and shaping you as a person?
4: I mean, there's a reason why so, why so many people say they're recovering
3: Catholics. Catholics, right? Yeah.
4: <laughs> I think my parents were. They were not the major like guilt and fear, you know, mm-hmm. lead by fear kind of thing. There was some of that, but that was just them carrying forward their own conditioning. You mm-hmm. know, I mean we we definitely had to go to church even if like I went to Sunday school with a friend, if it wasn't Catholic, I still had to go, yeah, you know, yeah, to the Catholic to my own. one. Yeah. 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 Um but I don't know. I mean, I don't think I carry like tremendous guilt or self-esteem mm. or issues around and sexuality or anything that, you know, a lot of people do. <laughs> yeah.
3: Sarah Sharp is joining us uh, tonight on Recovery Coast to Coast. Great to have her in the studio. We're going to take a short time out. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion. And there's an incredible song that uh, that, that she does called Euphoria. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about her dad's recovery and and some of her uh, her musical accomplishments and maybe some of the dreams of, uh, of music to come and we'll do that when we come back I'm Neil Scott the program Recovery Coast to Coast short time out back with more right after this
2: your
1: girlfriend's crazy and she's wasting my time cause if I wanted you you'd already be mine if I wanted you you'd already be
2: my oh. mm-hmm. We talk about everything. I've been sober now one year, three days, and counting. My sister was restructured at work after 10 years.
0: Welcome to the new normal and the cards for the new normal. New Journeys cards from Hallmark.
3: My girlfriend sent me a card that said I'm really something to celebrate.
5: Encouragement cards for all the stuff we face today.
3: I actually found a card that says, sorry you lost
5: your job. Journeys, new cards with real words for real life. Only at today's Hallmark Gold Crown Stores.
0: She has always been your baby. But when your daughter got into drugs and alcohol, she turned into a stranger. What do you do? Where do you turn? Contact Sundown M. Ranch. Sundown's nationally recognized youth treatment program guides young people back to a life free of drugs and alcohol. All treatment is gender specific and directed by caring certified professionals in a safe environment. You can get your daughter back and get to know her again. Go to www.sundown.org to learn more.
5: Your daughter's wasted. Again. You ignore it. You get help. Before long, she's been arrested. Before long, she's been promoted. You post bail. You congratulate her. And then her addiction really takes off. And then her career really takes off. She stops in from time to time for money. She stops in from time to time for coffee. But then it's right back to the street. But then it's right back to the office. Years later, The police stop by. Years later, your daughter and son-in-law stop by. They've got bad news. They've got good news. She's gone. She's expecting. You cry. Choose to help a loved one struggling with drugs or alcohol. It could change everything.
0: For more information or help, call 800-662-9111. Here is something to think
3: about. Problem gambling is exactly that, a problem. Looking for a solution? Well, there is a way out. And there is help for you or someone you love who's caught in the web of problem gambling. Help is as close as your phone. Call the Washington State Problem Gambling Helpline, 1-800-522-4700. For confidential help and free information, call a real winning number, 1-800-522-4700. They have the solution for problem gambling. Recovery Coast to Coast is a program feature of the nonprofit Alliance for Recovery. On the air thanks to the generosity of our friends and listeners. Now if you're enjoying Recovery Coast to Coast and would like to help us to continue to carry the message of hope and the promise of recovery, you can make a tax-deductible contribution to the Alliance for Recovery at PO Box 31451, Seattle, Washington 98103. Thank you in advance for your support.
1: There's no escaping it's in the air no way around it it's everywhere you can try to deny what you might as well
3: That is the music of Sarah Sharp joining us tonight in the studio. She is from Austin, Texas, vocalist, singer, songwriter, and a great all-around talent. And it's nice to have her in Seattle. She's doing a couple of gigs up here and nice enough to uh, stop by the studios. As as we mentioned earlier, uh, her mom had a severe mental illness uh, and passed away uh, less than a year ago. Uh, Her dad has been in recovery since 1994. Sarah remembers the exact day because...
4: (laughs) because it, I was leaving the next day for college And mm. so we um we fit the intervention in the night before I I left for my first what did
3: you learn about an intervention
4: my stepmom she they had' all, they had been married um not just a little over a year we I mean we understood and we were on board as soon as as that that idea was proposed he didn't resist I mean we when the intervention happened he he knew. He, like,
3: <laughs> he was sick and tired of being sick and tired? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so he, he responded. Uh, uh, he did not go to treatment, as I understand.
4: Not that I know of. I I just know that he was, every morning, he had this 6 a.m. Um, AA group. Early bird meeting. He yeah. was, so, I mean, he's still, uh, he doesn't live in Houston anymore, so he doesn't have that same, like, incredibly bonded group. But, right. Still quite good friends. And he'll go for his pe- people's significant anniversaries. He'll go back to Houston because he's in Austin now. Yeah. But, it you know, he benefited from having it was the post-Oak AA group in Houston. They were.
3: Nice. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Tell me a story about your dad.
4: I mean, there's so many great stories. But I called him today because I knew I was coming here. And I asked him if it was okay for me to share a story I had in mind. Mm-hmm. My dad's dad. Was a Marine. He fought in World War II, and he he was a hero. I mean, he's in Time magazine. He, he survived four amphibious attacks. He, as my dad says, he saw and did things that no man should have mm. to do. And when he came back, he became an, an alcoholic. I think like so many people from from that era who fought and didn't come home to any even conversation around PTSD. Yeah. Um it just shaped so much of our entire country, our entire society. I mean there's like, there's a collective wound that is deep and broad and it it changed certainly the lives of he and his sibling, his five siblings and his mom and and everyone Every one of the cousins. I mean, you know, it's just. I just heard about this word epigenetics. You know that word?
0: Mm-mm.
4: It's it's a science thing, but it has to do with what's in your DNA and inherited. And of course, you know, when it comes to alcoholism, Absolutely. everybody. Yes. But it's it's actually to do not just with alcoholism, but you know, trauma. I mean, we're carrying. I'm carrying in my DNA some of that trauma from my grandfather, mm-hmm. and. Um these things that repeat are so often um when there's not more conscious enough consciousness around it um not just alcoholism but things in- that can repeat that are not in our highest good on some level are out of a sense of belonging almost out of like an homage or loyalty mm-hmm. to what you come from and we were on my swing probably I want to say like three years ago. And there was a big, big thing that had gone down in the family with with, um, not my dad, not me, but somebody real close to us. And it echoed in a lot of ways what my dad had been through and what he had been through with his dad. And I I was talking to him about how the, isn't it interesting, you know, it's almost to the T the way this is repeating. And when my dad's dad died, there was a, I had heard there was a restraining order on him. And my dad, I asked him about that, and he said, "I don't remember, but that would make sense because I think the last time I saw him was March, and then he didn't die till August." My dad, I think, was thirteen, and when his dad died, and I said, "How did you receive the information that your dad was dead?" And, and we're on my swing, and you know, amazing birds. And he said, "I never told you that story. I." Uh, I had a paper route, and I had to start the route by folding the papers into thirds and preparing them, and I folded it, and this third of the front page of Pasadena is outside of Houston, uh, that suburb of Houston, said, local man stabbed to death in bar brawl, and it was his dad, and I said, well, what'd you do next? He's like, I delivered my papers and uh, <laughs> wow he he has furthered i mean you know, he dealt with so much, and he has pulled up at our our generation just exponentially mm. um you know, we still carry some of these things and some things that repeat, but sure it's. <laughs> You know, in 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 education, in the you know, just having functional, decent lives, and in the work that he's done for himself, and how that has shaped us.
3: What have you learned from that, Sarah?
4: How much I try to um, f- heal, repair, and improve it, whatever I can in myself for the sake of my children,
2: mm.
4: Mm. and and how much I don't want anything to repeat that is unnecessary
3: stop the cycle
4: hmm
3: stop the cycle Sarah Sharp is joining us on recovery coast-to-coast Coast. Uh, uh, her dad in in recovery uh, and, and you went to Alateen for a while hmm tell me about that
4: Um when I was in high school I um, was babysitting for a woman who needed a babysitter for her very young kids so that she could go to Al-Anon because she was separated from her husband who was an alcoholic and um i wasn't old enough to drive so she would come pick me up to babysit and i, I mentioned to her oh yeah my dad's an alcoholic and <laughs> and <laughs> just like matter of fact yeah and um she started driving me to alatine just got just took it upon herself
3: wow. to get me there wow mm
2: mm-hmm.
4: mhm
3: Sarah Sharp on Recovery Coast to Coast, a little bit of her story. Uh, She's a marvelous musician, and and you write so many songs. Uh, One in particular that really got to me was Euphoria. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the writing of that. Give me the backstory on that, and then we'll play it.
4: My my dad's best friend from law school was somebody we were really close with growing up, and he had two sons, and his younger son... um, you know somebody I had known from when I was little, but he became my sister's first love, and uh, he was so brilliant. He he, um, I'm hesitating whether to say his name, but say he, his first name. His name was Stapp, and I mean he was brilliant. He uh, as a senior in high school, he was the national debate champion, and I I remember him telling me uh, he he had had uh, he was an addict. And one time I saw him, the last time I saw him, before he OD'd on heroin, um, everyone's hanging out and he's drinking a beer and nobody's saying anything. Like, we all thought he was sober. And there was, like, even, like, court-related reasons why he was not supposed to have any substances and nobody was saying anything. And finally, I was like, hey, Stapp, notice you're drinking. And I, I said, why? And... He's like, well, Sarah, because it's a beer; it's not heroin. And um, <laughs> and then he talked about the um, the voices in in his head, and he said they're really smart; they're incredibly smart. The ones that convince the voices that can convince you mm-hmm. what to do. Well, and I said. I would imagine, especially when you're national debate champion, <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> either
4: side of the debate could be quite fiercely argued. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so he, he OD'd. And <sighs> when we went to the um, wake, uh, I just always felt like S- S- stop was so brilliant that you know a bit of pot a bit of this it was almost just to bring him down to where he could talk to the rest of us like to, to a, a normal level um but a lot of people who had all gone to law school with our dads were mm. at the wake and they're telling these stories these good old boy old good old day stories about like wrecking somebody's sports car and all these things that were related to mm. Um, bench drinking, yeah, you know, and I—I I mean, I was like, am I the only one here that doesn't like see the irony? Like, the, mm. thanks, guys, um, <laughs> for mm-hmm. the thanks for the legacy. Mm. Um,
3: so that led to the writing of the song.
4: Mm-hmm. That that song is a moment on the steps of the church on the day of Stapp's funeral, where I felt as everyone was arriving and they're so beautifully dressed. That it should be his wedding day
3: (sighs) Mm. Let's listen to uh, the song called Euphoria Uh, This is Sarah Sharp
5: This should be your wedding day All the suits and church steps And handshakes and Sunday dresses Man, your mom is still a babe more frail than she was before a starter, family wife no more in your dancer poet, stoic half sister I tried to tell her what you said I've never seen a sister more perfect in her brother's eyes, she was a million miles away as if the only Motion she ever learned to show was grace and penny. You called Doctor Tone. She was the only one. Despite Oprah, Doctor Phil, and all her culture self-help spells, she loved you the most. She loved and loved beyond her means, waiting for you to get clean long enough to find your feet and set things right so y'all could start a better life but the voices took you for took you away you for took you away. You away you for Took you away in single file, your closest friend. Meet your dad for the first time. Where has he been all your life in double breasted suits of men? Law school buddies from the past Tell drinking stories about our dads And no one sees the irony From where we came Justice is swift, the drinks are clean We're here to get your soul redeemed A week too late Halt the world and pack them in. The only fight you couldn't win. Uh,
2: voices took
5: you for.
2: Took
5: you away. You Took you away. Took you. Away. you
3: That's a song called Euphoria uh, by Sarah Sharp and uh, written uh, about her friend that uh, died from an overdose. How old was he?
4: Oh, goodness. Let's see. Um, it's going to take me a minute to do the math. Mm. I think um, if he was a few years older than me. I mean, he was late late twenties. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Nobody tried to help him.
4: Oh, everybody tried to oh, help him. Oh, they did? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And... and um, yeah. Oh. There was a lot involved. I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure that the last time he, yeah, I don't, I actually don't want to get into mm. those details okay. in case I, I say something somebody wished I wouldn't, but he yeah. was not alone. I mm. mean, pe- people, people mm. tried. Mm. Uh, like being the, in a social situation with our peers where nobody was calling him out on drinking isn't, is, I didn't mean that as an indication that nobody was, I mean, you know by that point, staff had like been in jail and stuff. Like, mm. you know, people were trying to help. Mm. It's it's, well, you know, yeah,
3: very much so. When
4: somebody's, um, uh, when somebody can't be helped, and when they reach that, I'm not saying that some people can't be, but they won't be, mm. won't be helped.
3: So, so you wrote that song, and uh, it's it is so very touching. What do your songs come from?
4: Um, I write a, across a lot of t- different territory because I, I write for like film and TV r- production and commercials and ads and stuff like that. And that's
3: that's kind of on demand, though. Yeah, right? and, yeah. That,
4: and that and that as much as each time I sit down to do it, I think that I don't have my identity attached. Mm-hmm. I usually end up actually thinking that what I just did um, does have merit artistically and is not just for the sake of being like extremely commercial or licensable. Um, And then I, like when I was with Slim Ritchie, we were in this Viper jazz band. And so I wrote all these originals of jazz, you know, party Viper music.
3: It gets back to write what you know.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And then um, the more recent things – I I released three EPs in 2018, and and most of that was related to the upheaval of, of, of my marriage and of of everything, and and I felt like that had more to do with, you know, when people say that you have a record a release, I literally needed to release those, those songs and those stories, for myself.
3: How did it feel?
4: Um. It felt well. I played a house concert last night. It felt really good to to play in a situation where they could really listen. I I don't know when I write the things that are not just for like some ad campaign. I guess they're not as like hit you over the head with. um, If you want to sit down and listen, it's it's better than if you. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. That's not true. Some of my stuff's catchy.
3: What What, what is your? Um, uh, how do you write? I mean, is it disciplined? Do you write a certain hour every day, or does it come to you and you take out a cocktail napkin and start writing it down?
4: It's all of those. When I'm when I'm lucky, I I, I have like a you know, um, a deadline, and I'm I'm churning things out, and mm-hmm. that gives gives life structure. But I I juggle so many other things with. Supporting myself now that I'm divorced. And, and and being a mom. Being a mom. And um, so I, you asked earlier about writing. I mean, I've, when I first wrote songs, I forced myself to do it. And then once I had kids, it was this, like, luxury to get a minute to, to myself to te- go back into that space. And often even with, like, that sense of, like, you know, if I had to pay a sitter or something to get a moment in that space, it felt like the... You had a taxi sitting outside with the meter running, mm. you know. And so once I began to have that space for myself again, it, just, it has only ever been a complete pleasure and indulgence to to sit and write and journal. Or, I wake up a lot and catch things in, in my phone that, you know. I just hear and catch them.
3: But you got to get it down right away. Oh, yeah, or it's gone. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I've learned that. (laughs) As as someone who writes a lot of poetry, the biggest lie I tell myself is I'll remember this in the morning. Yeah. And no. Nope. It's such
4: a a struggle because I don't want any electronics in my room. I don't even have an alarm clock in my room. I don't want the phone near my bed. But I have to, you know, I switch off between having the phone in my bathroom and having it right next to the bed because of that, like, catching. Yeah. What what you wa- waking up with.
3: You got to. Uh, we're going to take one more break, come back on the other side, wrap things up with uh, Sarah Sharp. And by the way, you can find out more about Sarah and her music at her website, sarahsharp.com. More right after this. I'm Neil Scott. Stay with us.
0: I lie to all my friends. I mean, I look right at my kids and lie to them. I make excuses to my family. I make excuses to the people at work. I hide the truth from everyone. Cover up at family holidays. You know, act as if everything's okay. Pretend I'm happy. Every day, I deceive everyone close to me. This man isn't addicted to drugs or alcohol. He's just addicted to covering up for someone who is. He thinks it helps, but it doesn't. Find out what does. For more information or help, call 800-662-9111.
4: Are you afraid? Afraid of life without drugs and alcohol? There is help and hope at Sundown M. Ranch. At Sundown, the focus is on you and your disease. You will learn how to live without depending on drugs and alcohol. Sundown M. Ranch is nationally recognized for effective and affordable alcohol and drug treatment programs. Reclaim your life. Replace your fears with hope. Go to www.sundown.org right now to learn more. Reason number 22 to switch to GEICO. We think renters are cool. Now, we don't know if you were born cool or if it's just all the cool stuff you have in your apartment. The point is, if you want to protect your considerable coolness, ask GEICO about renters insurance. For as little as $12 a month, you can protect all the stuff you hold near and dear, including that combination flat-screen TV espresso machine.
0: Now that is cool. For a fast, easy, rate quote on renter's insurance, visit geico.com or call 1-800-947-AUTO. Our
4: next exercise, killing spider in bathroom. As you hear your wife scream, begin with a light jog, then run to bathroom. 4, three, two, one. Find spider on wall ah. and squat and squash. Squat and squash. Spider lunges at you. Now scream like a schoolgirl. Good. And sprint. Now run.
0: Life is exercise. Snickers Marathon is energy. Great tasting, nutritious, long-lasting energy for the demands of your day. Grab a Snickers Marathon in the energy bar aisle. Aha! Ha ha! Think earlier. Brew Starbucks at home. Available where groceries are sold. Mm. today is the day think earlier brew starbucks at home available where groceries are sold
4: yeah i've been drunk in the last 30 days
0: and how old are you 13 do your parents know no in washington one in six eighth graders used alcohol in the past month i'm governor gregoire
4: We can keep kids alcohol-free if we start talking now.
0: About how many times have you had five or more drinks in a row this month?
4: Maybe three. And how old are you?
1: Fifteen.
3: For more information, visit StartTalkingNow.org. That's StartTalkingNow.org.
1: Your girlfriend hates me You know it's true to tell her it's not me
3: it's you the great sounds of sarah sharp who is visiting with us in the studio tonight she is from austin texas the adult child of uh, an alcoholic dad and, and a mom who suffered severe mental illness uh, sarah is on a tour in the northwest uh, she's a wonderful jazz vocalist singer songwriter she also is in residence down in austin if you're ever down there what is it on tuesdays
4: to say at the elephant room. At the elephant room. We do room. the early. We do the happy hour. Nice. Yeah, it's fun.
3: Nice. Mm-hmm. So, so you're in choir, and you realize that you're a little bit different from a lot of the other kids, and and that's recognized by obviously the the, the teachers. Where does it go from there?
4: So then, just so much music and amazing choir um, during high school, and I had my parents weren't they weren't you know it was a given that we would go to college but they weren't super involved we weren't like the kind of family that was going to travel all over and visit schools or any of that stuff mm-hmm. it was just the you know go to UT University of Texas and then I got something in the mail about Berkeley College of Music
3: oh and
4: even my choir teacher hadn't heard of it really because it wasn't especially in Texas like when I so I made up my mind about that but even back then even to audition for the school I had to fly from Houston to New Orleans yeah it wasn't that well-known, especially where I lived. And so, you know, my dad never would have gotten in the way, but it just never would have occurred to him that one of his kids would go out of state. To, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, at that point, you, you just send in your application to University of Texas. It was simple. You didn't even have to write an essay. You just send them your SAT scores, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I ended up with knowing I had the same budget as, as everybody else with what it would cost to go to UT. I figured out a way to go to Berkeley which was with a partial scholarship and I placed out of like 18 hours and then took took some general classes in the summer so that I didn't have to pay Berkeley for like science and mm-hmm. you know biology and <laughs> so I finished a year early when I was 21 and did other things I was resident assistant all kinds of things to get through mm-hmm. For the cost of what it would have been to go to University of Texas.
3: Did you do any singing during that period of time?
4: Well, so voice was my instrument. I never learned an instrument. Mm. Just funny because my mom was a classical pianist, and I have her 1929 Steinway. No. Yeah, it's incredible. It's really, it's a seven-foot incredible perfect it was rebuilt in the 80s like
3: and you don't know how to play no
4: my kids are learning but my you know this wasn't just because my mom was ill it was kind of generational like Mm -hmm. i I had done a little started some softball had a couple of piano lessons and then wanted to Mm -hmm. take ballet and she was like i'm not driving your you know what, all over Houston, pick one thing, <laughs> and so I've I picked. It's so different from now. or <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's odd that I don't play an instrument, but I I just sing and write songs and write them often. You know, co-writing.
3: Cause mm-hmm. So the first thing you had to do is find an accompanist.
4: Yeah, and I mean, I have I can read music and I can you know communicate about like a bass line or something simple. That's but most of my songwriting is just the lyrics and the melodies and it responding to, like, somebody else's idea. I, I collect them. I'll just grab people's idea in my phone and go away. And
3: Do you co-write with a lot of people? I do, mm-hmm. a whole
4: lot. Mm-hmm.
3: And how does that work for you?
4: I love it. I, mm-hmm. When I was um, younger, I forced myself to start writing songs. I mean, I didn't write my first song till my last semester at Berkeley. Simply because... I was realizing that I didn't want to just be in a cover band. Like, I, all I wanted to be for a really long time was a singer.
2: Mm.
4: And then I realized, oh, I, I want more than that. I don't want to just sing covers. And I wasn't much of a jazz singer yet. I didn't know anything about jazz before I went to Berkeley. So I used to force myself to write songs. And it, it wasn't really until, I, I think, I had my kid. I started having
3: kids. Well, oh, you eloped.
4: Well, I elop- okay. <laughs> I, I eloped when I was 22 in London. My ex was English, and we were in a band together, and we were we were truly in love. But it was because of immigration things. Like I had been detained the, the last time I tried to re-enter when my tourist visa expired. Need to leave and come back, and right, right. before it expired, and you, you know, so coming back, I got I got detained, and I almost didn't get back into England. And we had already talked about we might have to get married, and so we just went and did that on a Tuesday. I I rode the bus and met him at the registry office in Islington. He took a lunch break.
3: Sounds so from romantic. his job
4: at British <laughs> Telecom. <laughs> and then he we went his his brother who was his witness and my aunt who teaches at Oxford who was my witness, um, and she's also world champion power lifter for the gr- strongest granny in Britain that's another story. Wow. We had a little coffee and then a- and Andy went back to work and and Aunt Katie sprung for me to take a taxi home so I didn't have to get back on the bus with my flowers that she had brought me.
3: Oh, how sweet.
4: And um and actually my ex he's not such a workaholic now but he sure was then and it's it was indicative of what was to come that he couldn't even take half a day to get me off of work to get mar- uh, <laughs> married. But we had a wonderful, very successful marriage and continue to have a very true friendship and, and very cooperative. He co- still live in England? No, he's in Austin. We've we, been in Austin for ah, okay. 20 years. When you asked how I was doing earlier, I think there were a series of events that were, were an upheaval. And it started with Slim dying. Mm-hmm. And But it wasn't just because I lost a friend. It's because the way Slim died was really traumatic. And the way he, I, it for parts of it, he, I mean, he, he was really mean. And he hadn't been. We had just loved each other. and mm-hmm. But a lot, there's a lot I can take, but it broke my heart. And, and by the end, we were okay. We were actually quite okay. But there was a whole part during his uh, cancer treatment that I was a really kind of, traumatized by how vicious he got and I know he was scared and there and and this was there's going to his brain you know it was it was just complicated but it and we healed it before he died which is thank heavens but I had a series of things after that and I didn't understand till later probably the next year after he died when I started for the first time as, as an adult to go to a therapist that people have always said how are you so normal how you know you have this great marriage and your kids are so healthy and like you had you had a really complicated childhood how are you so normal and what i went through with slim's death what it just kind of back triggered like brrr, like a stack of cards a lot of trauma that i didn't realize was even there or needing attention and so it was quite It was the start of a lot of upheaval, upheaval that was net positive, but it was quite the um, like, you know, just burning to the ground and then coming (laughs) coming out of Mm -hmm. it stronger process. And part of that was was the burning to the ground of the romantic part of being a partner in any way with, you know, with somebody who I still love enormously but it was we grew we grew we spread out you know we just grew Mm. out of what we were calling our our marriage into a different form of family
3: so all of this comes crashing down the the divorce uh slim's death you're leaving the group your mom dying
4: my mom's death was grody too it was hard oh it was hard Mm hmm and then i um I Airbnb I, we were talking before we started about how hard it is to um keep the dream alive in Austin because it's so expensive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm super lucky to live in a you know one of the best most central amazing neighborhoods in Austin because I you know got my first house 20 years ago in East Austin. But I um had turned a space above my garage into little apartment like put, was able to get permission to put plumbing up there and it it was a whole thing in order for me to figure out a way to support myself. On the day my mom died this new plumbing was like raining in my garage and I had some Airbnb people that were coming to check in and I'm on the phone with the police in Houston at her apartment and they're saying if you don't tell us where to send this body right now it's going to the morgue and (laughs) it was all just you know on a Monday in July. Wow. Yeah, just it I I mean I it was just intense.
3: And you got through it.
4: Everybody gets through what I mean, yeah.
3: Who, who, who what was your support system like at that point?
4: I have ridiculously amazing people in my life. They're like the I think the only time I haven't felt supported is is um some things have been pretty hard at different times, especially with three young, ki- three kids really close mm, together in yeah. age. And when they were younger, I mean, I had, um, you know, my my oldest was three years and nine months old when my third child was born, and I was playing over two hundred shows a year and dealing with all my mom's mm. affairs. And sometimes I would raise the flag, and the few times I did. Nobody believed me because I. It's Sarah. She's fine. She helped You know, she's always fine. And there were a couple times where I really let people know that I just was so overwhelmed and needed help. And
3: and they and, responded.
4: Mm, they they didn't quite believe me. Really? Yeah. <laughs> um, but now it's just not nearly as hard. My kids aren't so young.
3: Your oldest now is ten, right? Eight. 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 Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm.
4: I have a front porch swing, and I spend every chance I get on it and even working, and it is, there is an amazing rotation of uh, w- incredible people who sit with me on that swing and have conversations. I'm you, I'm so blessed by the people in my life and the conversations that I get to have.
3: Do you write on that swing?
4: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I sure do. <laughs> and I, I'm not much of a morning person, but every once in a while when I'm out there, like, usually if I'm out there at this hour, it's because I couldn't sleep. But I live um, right on the hike and bike trail in, in Austin that's along Ladybird Lake. So th- then there's an incredible amount of birds. And if you're there, when the sun's rising on that swing, you hear the first bird announce itself. <laughs> and then another one and then another one. And when you hear, hear it that way, it was the same thing um, when there was an eclipse like a year and a half ago in August in the middle of the day, and all the birds went silent. Yeah. And then when they come back one at a time, you, you can identify like a 100 different birds. But it, when it's just the cacophony, you can't you don't realize what's going on there.
3: Sarah Sharp is joining us tonight on Recovery Coast to Coast. Uh, she is an award-winning vocalist, singer, songwriter from Austin, Texas. By the way, you can find out more about Sarah at her website and listen to her music. SarahSharp.com is, is the website. What was the first song you wrote?
2: mm
4: I was at Berkeley. I was uh, my last semester there. And it was terrible. I don't remember. (laughs) I mean, I've written a lot of really bad songs. (laughs) Yeah, I can't remember it all.
3: What's the first song you remember writing?
4: (laughs) That I was proud
3: of. Yeah. Let's see.
4: There's probably something I was proud of earlier than this, but um, there's a song called Blame It on the Night that I've recorded for a couple different things in different ways and it was the first one that it got used in a film Mm. made some actual royalties off of
2: Mm.
1: There's no escaping It's in the air No way around it It's everywhere You can try with well-
3: you've had a career in in films as well mm-hmm. tell me about that
4: well i i by accident ended up as a music supervisor in an indie film that was made in austin and became known as somebody who could um first of all like understand that work well enough as far as like licensing songs and dealing with contracts and and all that but had a network of friends uh, who were unsigned where um I could help people who didn't have, like, a big movie budget have really great music. Mm. And then, of course, help my friends um, be totally thrilled to get their song used in anything. And so I did a few. I worked as a music supervisor for a little while on on um, indie, fil- indie films and some other things. And I haven't really done that in a while. If I do it now, it's just helping. Like, somebody will reach out suddenly needing, do you know any— um, Klezmer punk bands? You know, I mean, I'm like, yes. <laughs> you know, I do. Mind down to 6th Street. Yeah, matter. you
3: know. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Sarah Sharp is joining us. Side, I'm Neil Scott. The program, Recovery Coast to Coast.
1: Your girlfriend's crazy. And she's wasting my time. Cause if I wanted you, you'd already be mine. If I wanted you, you'd already be mine
0: You've been listening to Recovery coast to coast recovery coast to coast is heard nightly from 10 p.m. till midnight pacific time monday through friday from seattle washington carried live on 850 KHHO in tacoma washington and heard nationally in streaming audio for information about future programs please visit www.recoverycoasttocoast.org where you can listen to download or podcast our last five shows as well as find information on upcoming programs please join us next time when we share experience strength and hope with others so that they may recover from alcohol and other drug and behavioral addictions. The bright side of addiction is recovery.